Let's continue our study of Psalm 73. Psalm 73, a song of doubt. Now, we noted last time that Asaph, who is the author of this psalm, was one of David's chief musicians. He was also a Levite, but he was struggling with the fact that the wicked of his day were prospering. And so he began to doubt God's goodness. He questioned whether or not God truly rewards the righteous and punishes the wicked. Because the circumstances that he found himself living in were telling a different story than what he saw in Scripture. And so he was wrestling with God. He was wrestling with God's goodness. His experience and his theology were in conflict. And so we noted last time in verses 1 through 14, the soul's conflict. And really, the conflict of the soul is a trial of faith. A trial of faith. And so let's just review very briefly before moving into the second part of this psalm. So as we consider the soul's conflict, or the trial of faith in verses 114, we noted Asaph's confidence in verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And again, we noted that the pure in heart, according to Psalm 24, are those who do not deal dishonestly with one another. They do not worship idols. So, you know, he's saying, listen, I'm pure before the Lord, and, and I know that God is good, especially to those who are pure in heart. But then in verse 2 to 3, we get his confession, Asaph's confession. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant, and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, this really is a truly personal confession here because, again, he, he's saying, listen, I know theologically that God is good and cares for the pure in heart, but my circumstances, my experiences are telling me something completely different. Uh, I've almost slipped in my walk with God because of what I'm seeing. I'm seeing the prosperity of the wicked, and, I, and I'm a little bit envious of that. Um, I'm, a, I'm a little bit... Uh, desirous of their prosperity because that's what I should be receiving because that's what God has promised. And then in verses 4 through 12, we see Asaph's comparison. And here he basically lays out the condition of the wicked uh, in contrast to that of the righteous. Speaking of the wicked, he says in verse 4, there are no pains in their death. Their body is fat. Of course, we discussed that the idea of fat is a sign of blessing. Uh, so they have blessing. They are not in trouble as other men. They are, nor are they plagued like mankind. You know, they're just skating through life. They don't have issues. They're not sick. Their pride is their necklace. Their garment of violence covers them. They seemingly get away with all kinds of evil. Their eyes bulge from the fatness or from the blessings. The imagination of their hearts run riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They set their mouths against the heaven. Their tongues parade around the earth. You know, you get the idea that these people are just full of boasting and mocking. Therefore, his people return to this place, and waters of abundance are drunk by them. They say, how does God know? And is there knowledge with the Most High? Listen, they've gotten away with so much for so long, they're now mocking God. Behold, Asaph says, these are the wicked, and always at ease they have increased in wealth. And that brings him to a conclusion in verse 13. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. In, in, in light of the, of, of the condition of the wicked, in light of what's really going on, why be faithful? 
That, that's his conclusion. What is the functional purpose of me repenting of my sin and being open with God and faithful to God? Why? And then verse 14, the chastening. For I have been stricken all day long and am chastened every morning. You know, he, he's basically saying, listen, I'm dealing with some kind of illness, some kind of chronic affliction, and, and it, I'm being chastened by God every morning. I'm a righteous guy, and here's these wicked people just going out and living in debauchery. Now, we come to verse 15 to 28, and we see the soul's conquest. So in verses 1 to 14, we had the soul's conflict, the trial of faith. Now, in verse 15 to 28, we have the soul's conquest, and we have the triumph of faith, the triumph of faith. Now, we're going to begin in verse 15 to 17 with Asaph's resolution. Asaph's resolution. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived their end. Now, the whole thrust of his complaint that begins back in verse 3, he now begins to question. There's a turning point in his conflict. He's following the empirical evidence. And if he had continued to follow the empirical evidence, which, look, this is what the wicked are doing, this is what they're getting away with, uh, you know, they seemingly just eat, drink, and be merry, they have no... Uh, problems in life, no illness, no pain, no suffering, if he had continued following that empirical evidence, he would have betrayed God's people. He would have turned his back on the people of God. And it, listen, if you reject God's people, ultimately you're going to reject God. He would have been broken. He would have or rather broken away from the family of God. You know, and I think that's so telling because even today, in the church, we see this still happening. People begin looking around. They're struggling in their faith. They're, they're, they're battling spiritual warfare. Their soul's in conflict. And, you know, they've been striving to live for the Lord. And then they turn around and they say, well, look, you know, the wicked are doing this. These unregenerate are doing that. The unsaved are doing this. And seemingly they're getting away with it. And, you know, and I'm over here doing this, this, and this. You know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to please the Lord. I'm, I'm trying to be faithful to church. I'm trying to, you know, uh, uh, minister and serve one another. And for what? My friends, I've got a warning for you. The longer you continue to look at what the wicked are doing, it's going to lead you down a path where you are going to separate yourself from God's people, and ultimately separate yourself from God. You're going to end up rejecting God. Now notice, there's an alternative. He, uh, he, there's something wrong. But the, what's wrong is his perspective. His perspective is skewed. He's looking at this, quote-unquote, empirical evidence from the wrong point of view. And the only way to get the right point of view is to do what? come into the sanctuary of God. He goes into God's sanctuary. By the way, it's, it's actually sanctuaries. It's a plural, meaning it's intensive. You know, he's going into the tabernacle or the temple. And uh, in the context of worship, that's what he's coming to do. He comes to worship God. Folks, you want to get a right perspective on what's going on in the world. You want to get a right perspective of what's going on in your home, your job, etc. You need to be in church. You need to be in worship. You need to be there in fellowship with God and God's people. That's what keeps you 
in a right perspective. The longer you continue to stay out on your own, away from you know worship, away from God, away from God's people, the more your eyes are going to suffer. And when I speak of eyes, I'm talking about your perspective. He gets into the temple or the tabernacle. He gets into the place of worship and God begins to speak to him. And he begins to realize that the wicked's seeming success is not their end. Yes, it appears they're prosperous, but in reality, uh, not quite the case. Look at verse 18 to 20, Ace, the, the, the retribution, Asaph's retribution. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. All of a sudden, now that he's back in a right relationship with God, now that he's back in, in the place of worship, he sees the reality. The wicked haven't been successful. All God's been doing is giving them enough rope to hang themselves. They're literally on a slippery slope. They're in slippery places. They're going to be cast down to destruction. They're standing on deceptive ground. Their foundation is insecure. It's like Jesus gives the parable in Matthew 7, 24 to 27. They're building their house on the sand, not a rock. And when a storm is going to come from on high. And when the storm drops, their house is going to be destroyed. They've got no foundation. Catastrophe is going to happen, verse 19, in a moment. They're here today, they're gone tomorrow. They're utterly swept away. They're going to be brought to an end. And what, the, what terrors will this bring about? Now, we question when it says, like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. It appears that Asaph is looking at the seeming prosperity of the wicked as God's taking a nap, but when God awakes, they will be brought to an end. Now, truly, God never slumbers nor sleep. Sleep, We know that from other scriptures. But Asaph's explaining in poetic form. Uh, he's explaining how he's been feeling. It's like, you know, God, I felt like you were asleep, but all of a sudden you're awake, you're aroused, and uh, you despise their form. You despise how they act. You despise how they behave. You despise the image of the wicked. You despise their idolatry. Interesting, the word form can uh, mean idolatry. Uh, the message here is clear. Uh, at death, their true condition will be revealed. They set their mouths against heaven. They spoke lawfully. Guess what? God is going to have the last word. And in, and in the place of worship, God's truth will be told. You know, that makes a very good point, folks. If God's word, if God's truth is not being preached in churches, where is it going to be preached? Where is it going to be taught? And I'm fearful that there's so many quote-unquote churches and places of worship today. They're doing a lot of speaking, a lot of talking, but are they actually speaking and talking the truth of God's Word? We need to hear the Word of God, and we need to submit to the Word of God. Verse 21 to 26, Asaph's reassurance. Asaph's reassurance. When my heart was embittered, I was pierced within. Then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You've taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel, you will guide me and afterward receive me to glory. 
When I, whom have I in heaven but you? And beside you I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Man, the psalmist Asaph is just brought to humiliation. He's broken. His heart, that's that, that word for heart is when my intellect was grieved or embittered uh, with, and, my, and I was pierced within. Now the word within is interesting. Uh, the, the Hebrew word literally is kidneys. So my heart was embittered and I was pierced in my kidneys. Now, again, embittered means to be grieved. Pierced means to be vexed. We know that heart is representative of one's seat of, uh, of intellect and emotion and so forth. Well, kidneys is another term, or intestines is another term for one's emotions, one's thoughts. And, and, and again, the Jewish literature is very uh, picturesque, very rich in uh, giving us graphic portrayals of what they're experiencing. Uh, now, why would he say, why would he use his kidneys or intestines being uh, vexed or, or uh, perplexed? The issue here is that, you know, when you're upset, uh, we would say that we're sick to our stomach. You know, we've got a queasy feeling. We're feeling nauseous. We've got pains uh, or pangs. Well, that's basically what Asaph is saying here. Uh, he, he's just grieved in his heart. He, he's sick to his stomach over what he was thinking. He says, God, I'm nothing more than a dumb cow. Dumb cow. I'm like a beast, a senseless, ignorant cow before you. This, this, this is humbling. You know, Asaph's realizing, man, my, my, my perception, my, my perspective is out of whack in light of God's revelation. This is what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 1.20. God makes foolish the wisdom of this world. But here I love how God reacts to Asaph. He does not treat him according to how he feels. Praise God that God does not treat us how we feel. God treats him as God perceives him. See, God says, or Asaph says that God holds him by his right hand. He takes him like a father, holds him by his hand, and guides him by his divine counsel. He protects him, and ultimately, Asaph's final end is going to be in glory. He's going to receive exaltation. The, the wicked are going to be brought down into hell, but Asaph's going to be lifted up on high. In the final end, eschatological end, circumstance and theology will become one. The psalmist recognizes here that all he has is God. There is none upon earth that I desire beside you. And that verb desire means to delight in. You know, do we delight in God? Do we have that kind of desire for God? And again, you know, we would probably give lip service, oh yeah, but... Think about it. When, when you are struggling and going through life and looking at the world and becoming de 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 depressed and down and disheartened, it's because you need to get a right view of God once again. You've got to get your eyes back and focused on, on who God is, what God is doing, what God is going to do. And when we come back to God, when we come back to delighting in God and being in the house of God, being in the presence of God, being in the throes of worship to God, then we'll, we'll actually begin to see things properly. Finally, verse 27 to 28. 
For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell all of your works. The meditation of Asaph comes to a close with a summary of his thesis. Regardless of how good the wicked may look, regardless of how healthy they may appear, regardless of their power, their success, they are all going to perish apart from God. They're going to perish because they are truly separated from God. And when they die, they will go into the pit, they will go down into hell and suffer eternal punishment. They will receive divine judgment. He is going to destroy them for their harlotry, for their idolatry, for their spiritual adultery. You want to read more on that? Read through Hosea. You know, Hosea chapter 1, verse 2, this land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. If you depart from the Lord, if you drift away from the Lord, God says you are a spiritual whore, a spiritual harlot. And so I would suggest to you that if you've been drifting away from the Lord, you get yourself back where you need to be. Get yourself back in His presence and repent and confess that foolishness. In their death, the death of the wicked, God proves Himself to be God. In their judgment, as Asaph's given this vision of their judgment, all of a sudden, everything begins to, be, to make sense. All things become clear. Even though there may not be justice in this life, oh, there will be justice in the next. Circumstance and theology will be brought together. And so in light of all of this, Asaph concludes that it's good. It's spiritually right, verse 28 to draw near to God. God's got the last word. Asaph says, no problem. I'm going to put my trust. I'm going to set my refuge in him. And so he declares all of God's work. You know, I love when people get a right perception of God, how their worship is renewed, how their praise is renewed. He's, he's resting his case. God indeed is good. We can rest our case. God indeed is good. Folks, listen, at the end of the day, regardless of what it may appear, everybody has the same end, death. But what comes next? What comes next is going to equal the playing field because it's appointed unto a man once to die and after this, the judgment. So look around you. Focus on God and consider when you slip from this life, will judgment bring you into heaven or will judgment bring you into hell. Draw near to God now. Rest in Him. And then praise and, and speak and declare what God has done and is doing. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we come before you and we approach you, in you before your throne of grace. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that we can come boldly because of, of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. I thank you that he is there interceding on our behalf as our as our great high priest. Uh, Lord, as we read this psalm, we, we could have written this ourselves uh, because so often, Lord, uh, we, we, we confess that our perspective is, is skewed. Uh, we're looking at things the wrong way. We've drifted from you, Lord, and uh, we've gotten away from regular worship. We've gotten away from being in your presence. And when that happens, Lord, we begin to look at life differently. So much so that, Father, we may even perceive that the, that the wicked are winning. Father, forgive us. 
And Lord, we, we come in submission to you and, and, and asking you not to forsake us, not to leave us, but Father, to come alongside, lift us up out of, out of this miry clay we find ourselves in, of, of disgust, depression, uh, even feelings of being deserted by you. Uh, Father, renew us, renew our faith as we desire to submit to you and to see life through your point of view. And Father, we know that as we do, uh, you'll give us the correct perspective. We'll see things the way you see things. Uh, so Father, uh, Lord, help us to come back into your presence, Father, uh, to, get, to get our eyes corrected, to get our eyes focused where they need to be, to come to the place of worship, and to have our heart renewed. And Father, we thank you that you don't leave us, you never forsake us, you hold us by the right hand, and Father, you guide us, you through this life, you protect us, and Lord, we know that when death finally grasps us, that Lord, we will be absent from the body and present with you. And so, Father, we praise you for that, we give you the, all the glory, and to that we say, Amen.